Hello and welcome to my podcast. I'm John Cook. I'm a retired Baptist preacher with over 50 years in the ministry of teaching and preaching the King James Bible, God's Holy Word. The purpose of this podcast is to present the Word of God as being just as relevant today as it was in the day that it was written. Today, I'm going to take you into my Sunday school class at the Faith Baptist Church in Riverside, California, where we are studying the book of Philippians. This is a verse-by-verse study to see what God has to say to us from His Word. In Philippians chapter 1, we're going to go from verse 9 through verse 11. What you have here is Paul's prayer for the believers, for the saints at Philippi. And in verse 9 he says, And I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that ye may approve things that are excellent, that ye may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ unto the glory and praise of God. If you look at that, you have a prayer where... Paul is requesting from God five things. So it's a five-fold request for the Philippian believers. The first thing he's praying for in verse 9 is for them to abound in love. So he's praying for love to abound in the, in the, among the Christians. This is love, first of all, and foremost to the Savior. We're supposed to love the Lord with all our hearts, with all our minds, with all our strength, with everything we've got, we are to love the Lord. If we love the Lord like we ought to love the Lord, then it will affect how we behave ourselves in our Christian life. Because when we love the Lord, we want to please the Lord. We want to live so as to please Him, not to please ourselves. That's the difference. In love, you don't live for yourself. We live in a world today that is totally wrapped up in love of self. In fact, we often hear it said that you have to learn to love yourself before you can love others. There's nothing in the Bible that says that. Matter of fact, the Bible says we already love ourselves. The Bible says no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth and cherisheth it. It's not a problem of not loving ourselves. We often say, I don't like myself. That's a statement you hear a lot today. And in fact, the Bible contradicts that. The Bible says we do like ourselves. What we don't like is when others don't like us, like we like ourselves. Because when others don't like us, like we love ourselves, we don't feel loved. And most people are going around today looking to be loved, not to love. In the Christian life, we're supposed to be going around looking to love. First, to love God. And the Bible says the reason we love God is because He first loved us in 1 John. It wasn't a matter that we fell in love with God. It was a matter that He fell in love with us. He loved us and gave Himself for us. Ephesians chapter 5 tells us. John chapter 3.16 says that God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son. That whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. It wasn't a matter that 
we were looking to find God. Oftentimes, over the years of being in church, and I've been in church since I was five years old, and over the years of being in church, we hear it said, I found God in testimonies. Well, if you found God, it wasn't because you were looking for him. Because we weren't looking for him. We were looking for a hiding place from him. It was only after he loved us that we received him as our savior. And then that causes us to love him because we realize how very much he loves us. Think about how much God loves us. He loves us so much that he became sin for us who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in him. In Christ Jesus, we become the righteousness of God. That's the love he had for us. And that's the love we're supposed to turn around and love him with. The very love he gives us is the love we are to love him with. But in turn, we are to love others. Specifically, we are to love one another. Now you think about that. If love is not looking for what I can gain, but it, it is looking for what I can give. Imagine if we were living one for the other. What a difference that would make in our behavior. The Apostle Paul says in, in 1 Corinthians, when he's talking about it's better for the present circumstances, he said it was better for them not to get married. But he said if you do marry, you haven't sinned. He said, but the, the benefit of not being married is, is the man can live for the Lord and he never has to think about anybody else except just living for God. The woman the same way. But when you get married, then the husband has to think about how he can please his wife and the wife is to be thinking about how she can please her husband. You see the difference there in how marriages today don't work that way. Because everybody's out for themselves. And that's one of the reasons why marriages don't last. It's because not everybody's looking for how they can please one another in marriage. But that's how we're supposed to behave. And in turn, that's how we're supposed to behave one towards another as believers. In John chapter 13 and verse 34 says, A new commandment I give unto you, that ye love one another as I have loved you, that ye also love one another. So the commandment that Jesus has given us is a new commandment. And it's a commandment to love one another. And in the book of 1 John, we're told we're supposed to keep that commandment. And that is to love one another, just like Jesus loved us. We talk about love today in the world, but it's not love that is distinguishes, that has, that has knowledge behind it. We're supposed to love, uh, we hear this term, to love unconditionally. I was reading a statement, and it said that the Lord loved us unconditionally. Well, in a sense, that's true. But if you reject his love, then you don't have it. And that's sad because it's there. It's available. But to receive God without receiving the Lord Jesus Christ is an impossibility. First of all, it's impossible because the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God. 
If you reject Him, you reject the Father. The Lord Jesus Christ is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. So if you reject the Lord Jesus Christ, you reject God. If you won't receive the Lord Jesus Christ, you won't receive God. People say, oh, I believe in God, I just don't believe in Jesus Christ. Then you don't believe in God. It's very simple. It's not complicated. God makes it simple. The plan of salvation is simple. Jesus said, come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, I'll give you rest. The Apostle Paul, when asked, what must I do to be saved? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved, and thy house. It works for you, it works for your house. So, this love that he wants them to abound in is a distinguishing love based upon knowledge. It says, praying for them to abound in knowledge. Now, if you look back at verse 9 of Philippians, he says, and this I pray that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge. He wants our love to abound in knowledge. The more we know about the Savior, the more we should love like the Savior. If you know what God loves, then you know what we're supposed to love. But there are some things God doesn't love. God doesn't love the filth of this world. We're seeing it exposed and as the Bible said it would, that, they, that we're seeing the, the wickedness of this world churning up like the sand of the sea. Men are not even ashamed anymore of sin. They broadcast it. They brag about it. And when you love, when you're bound in love with knowledge, well, the more knowledge you have, the more love you can have. James chapter 1 and verse 5, he says, If any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God. If you want to know what God wants you to know, then ask God. If you want to gain knowledge that comes from the Lord, then ask the Lord. Strange thing, we're quite willing to accept the wisdom of this world. And the wisdom of this world contradicts the things of the, things of the Bible. The wisdom of this world contradicts itself. Because the things of this world claim things that just aren't true. We were watching something the other night, and, and they said this fossil they'd found was billions of years old. How do you know that? Well, you say it was carbon dated. Well, that assumes that the climate always remains the same. Well, there's a problem with that. People talk about climate change. They say, Oh, we got a problem with climate change. Climate's been changing for years. Since God put it on the earth, it's been changing. You realize that until Noah, there was no rain? And then the climate changed. And as I, I would say is from my childhood, they got a whole passel of rain. And people say, well, yeah, the climate's changing. Sure, it's changing. It's always going to change. You know, when I was in school, you know what they were warning us about? The Ice Age coming back. I remember sitting in science class, them telling us that the Ice Age was going to come back. Now, evidently, somebody turned on the heater, 
and it's all going to warm up, it's dead. Now the foolishness of all that just shows you the knowledge of this world even contradicts itself. You realize that evolution was disproven before Darwin brought it out? And yet, in science class, I can remember sitting in science class as a kid, and the teacher telling us that evolution was true, that it was a fact. My teacher said one day, or I asked my teacher one day, I said, tell me something. How did man develop a brain if he just evolved? How did he develop a brain? Her answer was, well, he picked up a stick and thought and thought and thought till he developed a brain. Well, the first question I had for was, what told his hand to pick up that stick? You realize everything we do is a result of the action of our brain? Your heart beats according to the brain. You breathe according to the brain. You ever hear about a kid that's throwing a temper tantrum? Holds their breath? When I was a kid, the doctor said, let them hold their breath. They'll pass out and start breathing again. The reality is, is the more knowledge you have of what God has done, then you've got real wisdom. And if you want real wisdom, ask him. If you want to know what you ought to love and what you ought not to love, ask him. And you know where he's going to give you the answer from? Right here in the Bible. He's going to show you what's true and what's not true. What's righteous and what's not righteous. It won't be according to what you think or what I think. As a matter of fact, God told Israel when they were in the wilderness that when they got in the land... They were not to do every man do as they were doing in the wilderness, and that is every man doing that which was right in his own eyes. You want to know what the problem, what came about? They got in the land, every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Read the book of Judges. And it was judgment after judgment after judgment. Judgment deliverance, judgment deliverance, judgment deliverance. So number one is to know. Just to know what God wants, ask Him. Because the Bible says if you ask Him, He doesn't have a problem telling you that. He doesn't have a problem giving you knowledge. This knowledge, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14, verse 20, He says, Brethren, be not children in understanding, howbeit malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. He's saying, listen, you need understanding but there are some things you don't need to understand some things you just reject out of hand i can remember my parents telling me when i was little don't go play out in the road because you'll get killed we didn't experiment to find out you know when i was a kid we used to watch the road runner and the coyote was forever blowing himself up and they never had to put a caption on there that said do not try this at home because somehow or another, we just sort of figured out it wasn't for real. We just sort of knew that. But now we've got to put warnings on everything. It's like we don't have enough brains to figure things out today. Or people assume we don't have enough brains. And God says, listen, there are some things you ought to be ignorant about. When it comes to how the world is immoral in their stand and what they're doing, these are things we ought not to be even investigating. But when it comes to what 
God wants us to know, we're supposed to investigate it. We're supposed to find out what God wants us to know. So real knowledge comes from God. And the greatest knowledge of all is just to know what God wants. Knowing the will of God. In Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 17, the scripture says, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. The knowledge I'm supposed to have is what God's will for me is. That's the knowledge we all need, is what, what's God's will. Finding God's will is the most important thing in our lives as Christians. Not only was he praying for them to gain in knowledge, but he was also praying that they might abound in judgment. And judgment's an interesting thing, because it's something that most people think we shouldn't have. You go door knocking enough, you'll hear this, judge not that you be not judged. Does God tell us that we're supposed to judge things? In Hebrews chapter 5 and verse 14, Scripture says, But strong meat belongeth to them that are full age, even those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to, de- to discern both good and evil. What kind of judgment is this talking about? It's talking about knowing how to tell the difference between what's right and what's wrong, what's good and what's evil. We live in a world today that doesn't want that. I mean, we're living in a world today that's just going crazy. Somebody once said, and I think it's really come true, and that is that that, uh, this world is an insane asylum with the inmates in control. It's sad, but it's true. I mean... You think about what's said today. For example, just recently, remember when the government was shut down? Did you still have to file taxes? Evidently, they weren't shut down then, were they? They said they they shut down the non-essential. Well, if they're non-essential, what are you doing having them? That doesn't make sense. But we're supposed to have judgment. We're supposed to have discernment between what's good and what's evil. If you don't know what's good and what's evil, you're going to get in trouble. You know, it's possible for you to be going through the desert and be so thirsty that when you come upon water, you don't care what it is. Well, if it's poisoned, you're dead. So if you don't know discernment, if you don't know judgment, if you can't determine what's good and what's bad, You're going to be in a lot of trouble. Knowing what's good and what's bad is to our benefit. We're to know what's good and what's bad, even in people's ministry. How can you tell whether a pastor is for real or not? How can you tell whether he's telling the truth or not? Well, in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 16, it says, You shall know them by their fruits. You can tell by the fruit. Jesus said, do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? If you came up with a cluster of grapes, you don't expect to find thorns. I don't know if you've ever been around a fig tree, but I've been around a fig tree and they don't have thistles. So if something claims to be one thing, but the fruit is something else, then you've got a problem. Well, the same thing's true. 
if what the preacher's saying and the fruit that's being produced doesn't match, you've got a problem. That's what we're supposed to judge between. And that's how you judge. Judgment is nothing more than discretion. In Proverbs chapter 2 and verse 11, Scripture says, Discretion shall preserve thee, understanding shall keep thee. Discretion is necessary to preservation. And discretion is defined as prudent or knowledge, that is, discernment which enables a person to judge critically of what is correct and proper. To know what is right, what's wrong. God wants us to have discretion in our lives. And Christian, we're supposed to have discretion. And that's what Paul was praying for them, to abound in love that was based on knowledge and in all judgment. Then he also was praying for them, he says in, in verse 10, that ye may approve things that are excellent. He was praying for them to approve the things that are of God. Approve things that are excellent. If it's not of God, then you better not approve it. Now that's going to go totally contrary to what the world says. Because the world says we have to approve everything today. There's no sense of, of common sense with people today. The funny thing is, is that everybody says we're to tolerate everything. But the ones who want you to tolerate everything don't want to tolerate what God says in his word. So you don't really want us to tolerate everything. You want us to reject what God says and only tolerate what you say. And that's how the flesh works. It's easy for us to read this book, but not apply it to ourselves. It's easy for us to read the Bible and just let it go off our backs like water off a duck's back. That it doesn't mean anything to me. That I don't really have to apply it to my life. And this is, this is the approval that's based upon those two things that we already saw, and that's knowledge and discretion. Job said, Doth not the ear try words, and the mouth taste his meat? The ear listens to see if it's worth listening to. And if it's not listen, worth listening to, the ear says, We don't need that. If somebody's lying to you, and you find out they're lying to you, you don't want to listen to them anymore. But how many people today have believed the world's lies or the devil's lies? When the devil said to Eve, you shall not surely die. Where did he find out that God had said you shall surely die? He didn't find it out from Eve. Because she didn't say that. She said, lest you die. So where did he know that from? He knew it because he knew what God said. And he said, God's lying to you. Well, let's look around ourselves and see if God lied. We see the wickedness in this world. We see the wicked things that happen to kids. We see the wickedness and horribleness of war. And we say, why would God allow that? Well, you forget. God told you, don't, don't eat it. 
God meant what he said. And Christian, God means what he says in your life. One thing that I've learned over the years of being in the ministry is God means what he says and says what he means. We don't have to guess at it. All you have to do is listen to what God says and try the word. We're to approve of those things which are the will of God. We talked about that in knowing it. And what is the right thing for me to approve in my life? Well, according to Romans chapter 12, I'm supposed to present my body a living sacrifice unto God. And by doing that, I'm not supposed to be conformed to this world, but I'm to be transformed by the renewing of my mind. What is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God? If you want to prove what's the good and acceptable and perfect will of God, you're going to have to find out. And the only place you're going to find out what is the will of God is in this Bible. That's why the scripture says to study, to show thyself approved unto God, a workman that needs not to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. Because we're supposed to get into this book and find out what it says. And if we don't get into this book and find out what it says, we ought to be ashamed. The problem with so many people today is they're looking for God to speak out of the, out of the sky to them. Or through some dream. In some cases they go to church to, to find the will of God, but they never bother to find out what, what they're being told agrees with what the Bible says. If it, isn't, if it doesn't agree with what the Bible says, then it's somebody's opinion. problem today is, is we'll say, well, Dr. So-and-so says, or this one says, or that one says. Or, or I like the one where people say, well, yes, the Bible says that, but good godly men think it means this. Well, first of all, how do you know they're godly? And how do you know they're good? Because the Bible says it's none good. So right there, you've got a disagreement with what the Word of God says. Could good godly men do things that they ought not to do or say things they ought not to say? Well, there's a fellow named Lot in the Bible. He vexed his righteous soul daily. Evidently, somebody who's living in the wrong place and putting up with the wrong things could still be seen by God as belonging to God. So, we need to get into the Bible and find out what the Bible says and do what the Bible says. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21 says, Prove all things. Hold fast that which is good. So we're supposed to prove it, and when we find it's true, then hold on to it. That's why I believe the King James Bible is God's preserved, verbally inspired word of God because it's proven itself. And those who attack it are attacking what is the truth. And it's easy for us to be convinced by educators, oh, you've got to question this, you've got to question that. You're not supposed to question this book. You're supposed to believe this book. You're supposed to read this book. You're supposed to study this book. You're supposed to question what men say by this book. And we're to approve what God says, not what men say. 
Then he also prays in verse 10 of Philippians, he prays that they may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere. That word sincere is curious because if you look it up, it's a combination of two words. And it actually means that it's clear. It's true. You can see right through it. The truth is evident. It's pure, like pure gold. You can see right through it. The Bible says the streets in heaven are pure gold. Well, that would mean there's no no impurities in it. It would be clear. be like looking through sunglasses. It's pure. It's clear. That's the way we're supposed to be in our Christian life. We're supposed to be sincere in our Christian life. So he's praying for them to abound in sincerity. Sincerity is directly related to integrity. And integrity is something we don't have a lot of today. Today, we don't seem to care about integrity. And maybe it's because we don't have any integrity in ourselves. Maybe it's because as Christians, we're not very sincere about what we say we believe. If somebody, if somebody took, somebody took our Christian life and held it up to the sun, would they see it as being clear? Is it real with us? Or is it just something we play around with? Jesus said about Nathaniel in John chapter 1 and verse 47, Behold, an Israelite, and indeed, in whom is no guile. He was for real. He wasn't, he wasn't uh, play acting. He wasn't just saying things so that people would approve of him. He didn't just say things because he, he didn't want to hurt your feelings. He was sincere. He meant what he said. When he said what he was going to do, he did it. Christian, Does this world see in us sincerity? That we really do love the Lord? That we really are the servants of God? That we really are saints, sanctified unto the Savior? Is that what the world sees in us? 2 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 17. Scripture says, For we are not as many which corrupt the Word of God, but as of sincerity... But as of God, in the sight of God, speak we in Christ. He said, we're not corrupting the book. We're not giving you something that's a corrupt message. We're giving you what we in sincerity have found to be true. When the Apostle Paul got saved on the road to Damascus, it changed his whole life. He went from being a persecutor to being a a preacher of the truth that Jesus Christ was the Messiah, that He was the Savior, and that men needed Him to be saved. He gave a sincere message. He was real in what He said. He also says in verse 10, and without offense till the day of Christ, that we live our lives so as not to be a hindrance, so as not to be a stumbling block, Not to the lost man, not to the saved. In fact, there are some times in our lives where we have to give up our Christian liberty for the sake of our weaker brethren. 
Because though though it may not be wrong in our lives and in the eyes of God, it may be that they think it's wrong and it will stand in the way of them going ahead and doing what God wants them to do. Or it will cause them to do something that they think is wrong. And the Bible says whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So we're supposed to be a help to one another, not a hindrance to one another. And standing up for what's right doesn't mean putting aside the truth of the Scripture. doesn't mean you give up that which is the offense of the cross. Because the Apostle Paul said in Galatians 5.11, And I, brethren, if I yet preach circumcision, why do I yet suffer persecution? Then is the offense of the cross ceased. You preach the truth of the grace of God, that people get saved by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, plus nothing, minus nothing. And people will get offended. I've had people say, when you try to to get them to, to trust Christ as their Savior, they say, I have to straighten out some things in my life. No, you don't. You have to trust Christ. Well, yeah, but there's some things in my life that it doesn't matter. That's God. God will take care of that. That's like a dish saying, when you go to wash it, that's like the dish saying, wait a minute, wait a minute, i got to wash myself before you can wash me. It's kind of like, so. Well, I grew up, if you had a dishwasher, you had to wash the dishes before you put them in the dishwasher. I always thought that was the dumbest thing in the world. If you're going to wash the stupid things, then wash them. If you're going to put them in the dishwasher... Put them in the dishwater. Sure. You say, well, they don't come out clean. Then get a dishwasher that washes them. I was a dishwasher when I was young in, in, in a restaurant. Well, actually about three different restaurants. And we never had a problem with them coming out not clean. Because they came out not clean, you put them back through the dishwasher. But the, the reality in our lives is that when we stand for the Word of God, it's going to be an offense to this world. But we, we don't look to offend this world. We don't look to be an offense. We look not to be. But that doesn't mean we compromise the message of the Gospel. Then he was praying for them to be filled with the fruits of righteousness. Now where does that come from? Where does righteousness come from? Well, it doesn't come from us. So that's got to come from an outside source. But the Bible says, He which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. Jesus said, without me you can do nothing. The Bible talks about the fruit of the Spirit. And the fruit of the Spirit is righteousness. That's what the Holy Spirit of God brings about in our lives, is right living. And if we're going to live like the Savior wants us to live, we're going to bring forth righteousness. That's why he says, he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it. But then he goes on and says, to work out your own salvation. He's not talking about getting saved by your works. He's talking about taking that which God has worked into you and bringing it out here into your life so that your life becomes useful to God. 
It's like the parable that you find in Luke chapter 13, verses 6 through 9. The Lord of the harvest comes in, and he, or Lord of the vineyard comes in, he looks and he says, you know what, that fig tree isn't producing. Cut it down. Because that fig tree wasn't there for the sake of giving shade or for its beautiful leaves. It was there for the sake of giving fruit. Well, Christian, God expects us to bear fruit. And the reason behind it is simple. He says, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, unto the glory and praise of God. So when we find that we're doing what God wants us to be doing, we don't take the credit for it. We don't say, look what I did. We say, isn't the Lord good? Look what He did. It's all of Him. You know, one of the things that I really don't like in sports today is how often on team sports, how often... The guy, I mean, the guy makes a makes a touchdown. He acts like he did it all by himself. He couldn't have done it without the rest of them. But does he give credit to them? No, he acts like an idiot in the end zone. Like, look at me, I'm important. No, you're not important. Without the team, you're just you're. In fact, if you want to find out, let the team lay down on the field and let's see how important you are. The reality is that's how we are sometimes about what God does in us. We take credit for what God's done instead of giving the credit to God. Give the praise to Him. Let Him have it. And that's what the Apostle Paul was praying for. Hey, this is John Cook again. Thank you for listening to our podcast on the book of Philippians. Before we go, if you live in the Riverside, California area, I want to give you a personal invitation to visit the Faith Baptist Church, where our pastor, Nathan Cook, preaches the Word of God from the King James Bible. Be sure and leave us a comment now, or a prayer request, or what question do you have? Let us know how we can help you. Make sure and subscribe to the podcast, and you'll get the next lesson just as soon as it is released. Well, so long for now. Be sure and join us for our next podcast as we continue our study on the book of Philippians. Till then, God bless.